his padded cell high atop Bethel Church, the most heralded, the most despised talk show in all of human history. This is the talk show Hell Hates. This is Pastor Mike Online. And here we are coming to you live, finally, here at our top secret broadcasting bunker. This is Pastor Mike, and I'm online, and I am live with you today. Um, In case you haven't noticed, I have a dot on my chin. It looks like a uh, it looks like a drunk Hindu tried to put that that bendy that dot they wear on their foreheads. Only he's drunk and he missed it and he stuck it on my chin. It's uh, I think it was a um, like an ingrown whisker, and I was picking it which you shouldn't do, and it turned into this. I noticed the people at the gas station this morning when I went to pick up my soda pop, uh, they kept looking at it. They were talking to me, but they kept looking at my mouth, and I'm going, you know, my eyes are up here. And I said, I said, you see that? I said, I've been trying to get rid of this all week. And one gal said, she was being helpful, she said, have you tried alcohol? And I said, no, I don't drink. Let's see, I need some sound effects here. That joke would have been better if it had a sound effect. There we go. Oh, they work today. All right. Anyway, so I don't know. Hopefully this thing will go away by... There we go. Hopefully this thing will go away by Sunday. Yeah, anyway, uh, good to be with you. I am under the weather today. It's, yeah, it was 85 degrees here yesterday, and it's like 60 today. Um, we had a weather front move in, and it's just uh, taking its toll on me um, when I get to feeling like this. It makes me weak and fatigue. So I went and laid down for a little while <clears throat> and uh, feel a little bit more adequate uh, today. Um, I want to I want to pick back up where we left on Tuesday um, talking about the rapture. And for those of you who um, well, let me get let me get this back out. I put this away, but I'll get it back out. For those of you who uh, you have all you've heard, all you've ever heard, is the dispensational teaching of the rapture. Um, let me let me just kind of go through this, and, and I'll I'll kind of talk to you on why I have serious problems with this, uh, and I'm not trying to be just critical. I'm not trying to be like. Well, I have the real truth on the rapture. Nobody else does. So if you want to get it, you got to get it from me. I don't care. Um, we're supposed to, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, where it, it talks about the, the rapture. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and so on. 
it Paul ends that. It's almost like the whole well, the Holy Ghost knew that we would be fighting over this thing. And some some would come to the point to where if you don't agree with them that you're you're the heretic, not them. Um but anyway, Paul's Paul said, "Wherefore comfort one another with these words." And I I you know, I want to be that, but I also have to um at, at least draw your attention to what really is behind the dispensational concept of the rapture. Um, it's based upon a form of dispensationalism. There are different forms and there are different people who believe in these different forms. Some I can handle. Some I, I cannot go along with. I just can't. Um, this booklet here, the Panorama Bible Study Course by the Ravel Company, uh, has all these charts and they are based upon the concept that in each dispensation there is a different gospel. And I don't mean a different verse for the gospel. I mean a different way that those people were saved. And I'll give you this one. Like they say, the first dispensation was the dispensation of innocence that began with Adam and Eve. Okay. Well, we know that Adam and Eve had access to the tree of life and so on. Um, but then they have a second dispensation. And it's called conscience, they call it. Um, let's see here. How are men saved? Okay, it ends with the flood. And, and I know that they believe that Noah was saved by works. I know this because they told me this. Dispensationalists have told me this. Noah was saved by works. And I would repeat back to them, uh, no, the Bible's very clear that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord long before God ever told Noah to build the ark. So the fact that God tells Noah to build the ark is based upon God's grace over Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And grace is always um, unearned blessings, unearned redemption. Noah did nothing to deserve it. And yet God gave him grace. God gave him the grace to believe God. God gave him the grace to understand God. God gave him the grace to build the ark. And he built the ark for the saving of himself and his family and so on. But it all started with grace. Then they have the third dispensation of human government with... Uh, 
and they say that ended with Babel um, and and then they have God's covenant with Noah that had to do with um, Noah making a sacrifice in Genesis 8 and then Genesis 9 God giving uh, the sign of the rainbow to the world but let me ask you this in Genesis 9 when God made that promise what was that promise conditioned on the promise that God would never destroy the earth with with water ever again what was that promise conditioned on nothing it's absolutely nothing God just said I'm not gonna do this anymore and here's the sign that I'm gonna keep my promise what does the earth or the people on the earth have to do in order to earn that particular blessing nothing God just gives him the promise so now that brings us to the fourth dispensation dispensation of promise the blessing to Abraham in Genesis 12 <clears throat> what does Abraham do to merit God blessing him in Genesis 12 nothing what does Isaac do to merit God's blessing of Isaac nothing what does Jacob have to do to merit God's blessing of Jacob nothing in fact we're told that Abraham had the same uh, blessing given to him that you and I have Noah uh, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness so where Abraham's righteousness lacked his belief filled in the gaps it filled in the account so that God sees Abraham as righteous because he believed God fifth dispensation law and here's my favorite law keeping Israel in the wilderness was saved by keeping the law here's your problem they never did as testified by James in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council James said uh, why are we making the Gentiles keep the law we never kept the law uh, fifth dispensation is legal um, that covers the time from Jeroboam the king uh, the northern tribes being taken into Syria um, Judah and Benjamin being taken into Babylon and then uh, fifth dispensation is the end of the Old Testament Malachi to Matthew and that takes you up to Christ saying it is finished and so now we're in the sixth dispensation according to them and 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 remember there is a different God only and only this dispensation the one we're in now are men saved by grace that's this is the only dispensation where men are saved by grace but that's not true it, none of it's true I mean read Hebrews 11 how did those men live and how did they do the things that they did faith in fact Hebrews 11 says these all died in faith every one of them 
and and all of those names that you see in Hebrews 11, those people are in heaven now. And how did they get there? By faith. Same as me and you. So, um, you know, I just wanted to point that out. That, and again, not everybody who is a dispensationalist believes in these multiple gospels. Primarily, um, those who follow, um, oh, what's his name? He was down in uh, Pensacola, uh, Peter Ruckman. Uh, Peter Ruckman was a, a very stout uh, hyper dispensationalist. And um, anybody that disagreed with him, well, you know the man. If, you, if you've ever heard of him and know anything about him, you know he, dis, he had a very, very low tolerance for anybody who disagreed with him. I mean, he would be very verbal on how idiotic it was to disagree with him. I mean, that's just the way he was. And um, so anyway, uh, that's basically the gist of it. And uh, there, there are other preachers out there who are similar to Peter Ruckman in their belief and their, uh, their zeal over it. Uh, to where one of them, and he was actually a pastor, still is probably, I think, down in Pensacola. Um, he said, basically, your two doctrines of the pre-trib rapture and eternal security are hinged upon dispensationalism. And so if dispensationalism isn't true, then those other doctrines can't be true. I didn't say it. He said it. Um, and so I, I'm just, I want to throw out the possibility that it may not be the way the charts have drawn it out. It may not be that way. So if we go back to Matthew 24 and we look at what's going to happen here, starting in verse 29, and put that up on the screen for you. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven. And the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Well, let's let's stop right here. That event is listed in Revelation chapter six with the opening of the sixth seal. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. The moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. That's the same language that Jesus used in Matthew 24, when the powers of heaven will be shaken. God promised that when he came the first time, he shook the earth. When he comes the second time, he will shake both heaven and the earth. And here we have it right here. We have the earth being shaken, and then we have heaven being shaken. 
the heaven departed as a scroll, and um, you have these stars falling from heaven. Well, that's what you have in Matthew 24. And then immediately after that is where you have Christ, um, who is going to send his angels uh, with the great sound of a trumpet. They shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Um, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Now he says this, and we're going to focus on this Well, when we get there. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. I'm going to show you something in the story of Noah and his ark that I hope will be an encouragement and a comfort to you. Um, because it will show you just how well God is going to protect those that are his people. After all, that is what God does, and he does it well. He's been doing it ever since the flood, and he has done it well every time. God didn't let Noah down. God didn't let Lot down. God didn't let Moses down, Joshua down. God never let these people down. God didn't let David down. None of them. And so um, let's look at this. And I'm going to be using a number here. Okay? It's the number five. Notice this. Behold, I show you a mystery. This is the fifth occurrence. Uh, One, two, three, four, five. Fifth occurrence of the word mystery. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Five things. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead, this is important, the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. We meaning, as in 1 Thessalonians 4, those who are alive and remain. Now, and let me show you that same pattern in 1 Thessalonians 4. Um, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Both 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 mention this trump or trumpet. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, then... We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And that's what I'm trying to do is give you comfort. 
So let's go, um, since we've looked at this, number five. And remember that uh, in both places, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, it tells us that the dead are going to be brought up first. And why is that? Well, they went first. Okay, they came first. So they've waited longer than the rest of us. So it falls on them to be to be first. Let's look at something that it when I first saw it, it didn't make sense to me. But after a while, I got it. This is the book. This is the first time the word book is mentioned of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God, made he him. Notice that it doesn't say, made he them here. He says male and female created he them here in reference to male and female. There are people who have been told a lie. And that lie is that God is both male and female. That's a lie. If your God is both male and female, you've got the wrong God. Plain and simple. There is nothing in the scriptures that specifically says nor even eludes to the idea that God is half female or that God has a feminine side. Nothing. Now, that can be said of like false gods like Bacchus, Dionysus, Shiva, um, others who were a uh, sort of, I guess, a binary god. So when you see the uprising in, in this country and around the world of people who are now identifying as gender fluid, non-binary, binary, whatever, people who are uh, two-spirited, whatever they want to call it, it's the spirit of Antichrist. It is. It's, it's that spirit. It's the, it's the, um, the locusts that come up out of the pit in Revelation 9. They're binary. They are male and female. They have the faces of men. They have the hair of women. Therefore, they are, they are an abomination. So, uh, anyway, male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. Why is it that in the very first couple, the woman was named after the name of the man? In fact, if you remember, some of you are old enough to remember a time in this country when a married woman was referred to and named by her husband's name. Uh, yes, this is 
Mr. John Stevens, and this is Mrs. John Stevens. When they were formally introduced in a formal setting, almost always was the woman named after her husband. Yes, this is Mr. This is Mrs. John Stevens. And over there is Mrs. Charles Wright. And over there sits Mrs. Frank Henry. That's how it was done for a long time. Goes all the way back to Adam. This is why the woman takes the man's name. Uh, something that, that liberals just cannot handle anymore. It wasn't a problem 20 years ago. It wasn't. Now, all of a sudden, it's a big, huge problem. How dare you say something like that? Listen, I'm not following the sickening trends of this world. I'm not doing it. Uh, but in the day that they were created, and Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years and he begat sons and daughters and all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So here's what we have. We have Adam mentioned once here. Once here. Once here. Here. And here. And it stops right here. So Adam is mentioned one, two, three three, four, five times, from verses 1 to verses uh, 5. And the fifth time that his name is called out, Adam lived, were 930 years, and he died. And then I noticed we have Seth. And I noticed that this chapter in Genesis is repetitive. There are several chapters that are like this, where they give like lineages. You know, like in Luke 3, where it's given the lineage of Christ. And Jesus was, as, it, as, as, as was believed, the son of Joseph, who was the son of Heli, who was the son of, you know, it goes on like that. It repeats itself. Well, it does that here in Genesis 5. And so there's a noticeable pattern. You have the same thing being mentioned. He called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he begotten Seth were 800 years and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So Seth is not mentioned in verse 5. In verse 6, And Seth lived 105 years and begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos hundred or 807 years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. So we have Seth mentioned 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 times again. The fifth time he's mentioned, and he died. Then we have Enos, same pattern. He begat Enos here, Enos mentioned here. Here's three, here's four, and here's five. All the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. Canaan, we have Canaan here. Oh, no, let's see, we have Canaan um, yeah, here, and then Canaan here, that's two. Skips it here. Here it is, number three, number four. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. The pattern is repeated with Mahalalel, um, Jared, Enoch. Now, we have a break in the pattern with number seven. 
Number seven, Enoch. Enoch breaks a pattern. So we have Enoch mentioned here. He begat Enoch. Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 960 and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. So Enoch breaks the pattern. We have Enoch 1, Enoch 2, Enoch 3, Enoch 4, Enoch 5. We're 365 years, but it doesn't say that he died. In verse 24, it says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So after Enoch is mentioned five times, instead of dying... Enoch goes to heaven without dying. Now, the pattern picks back up with Methuselah. Methuselah here, Methuselah here, that's two. Methuselah here, three. Methuselah four here. And all the days of Methuselah were 960 and nine years and he died. And Lamech. Lamech, that pattern is there. Lamech here. Lamech here, that's number two. Uh, skips the third verse. Lamech here, that's number three. Um, and he called his, uh, and he begat a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord had cursed. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah 595 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. So we have Lamech mentioned five times and he dies. Methuselah mentioned nine time, five times and he dies. Noah is mentioned. Uh, I referenced this earlier. Noah here. We have Noah here. And then we have Noah here. That's three times. We got to go to the next chapter. And we have Noah. Uh, let's see here. Where is it? I missed one. I missed one. And let's see here. Let's do this right. Uh, so we have Noah here. We have Noah here, that's two. We have Noah here, that's three. Ah, here it goes. There's Noah four right here. And number five, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. Yeah. All right. So Noah breaks the pattern. Enoch breaks the pattern. So... The number five is a number relating to death. And think of what the rapture is. It is life victory over death. Whether people have died and God resurrects them or people who are living who won't die and God is going to regenerate them, give them a new body. Either way, they've gotten victory over death. Now, 
In Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us, teaching us, what does this grace teach us? That denying ungodliness, whoops, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope. Amen. And glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Five things here that we deny ungodliness, worldliness, and we live soberly, righteously, and godly. Five things. Then 2 Thessalonians 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by what? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by our gathering, there's that word again that we saw Tuesday. God's going to send his angels out to gather together his elect. And I told you to study the word gather or gathering. And I promise you, you will not come away empty after studying that. Okay. By the way, I got me a new cup. Uh, I call this my Yadier Molina cup because the skin's brown. And um, Molina, probably one of the greatest catchers in baseball. Him and Pujols retired last year. Uh, Molina was, I mean, if you tried to steal base while Yadier Molina was the catcher, more than likely, it was, you were not going to succeed. In fact, Major League Baseball had to come up with its own um, own uh, statistics uh, for those who faced Yadier. Uh, the statistic was initialized as uh, CSBM, caught stealing by Molina, because the guy had an absolute pinpoint accurate and quick arm. When you tried to steal, he jumped up with that ball and he threw a laser strike right into the glove of the second baseman and you were tagged out before you even got there. That guy was awesome. Fun to watch these people play. So anyway, it's my new Yachty Cup. All right. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Notice this, Psalm 50. I like this. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The sacrifice was Christ. The covenant is the New Testament. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Amen. Notice this. Uh, We already looked at this. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. Again, that's mentioned First Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. It's part of what is the mystery. Remember the word mystery. Mentioned 22 times. 22 is the number for revelation. And every time you find the word mystery... It's going to explain what that mystery is. Uh, Paul said, I would not, brethren, you should be ignorant of this mystery. What mystery? He's going to explain it. 
that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And I, I just, I love that. That means God is going to shut the door on the Gentiles. Now, you may have, you may have heard somebody, and, and I think maybe I did some of this years ago. There's this thing called tribulation saints where um, people believe that there's going to be people saved without the Holy Ghost now during what they call the seven-year tribulation. And so there have been people who have, like, written books, um, hid Bibles with notes in them saying, if you find this Bible during the tribulation, read such and such. And people who have, have written books for those who survive the rapture, don't go in the rapture, um, When Noah got on the ark and all the animals were in, God shut the door. And I, I think it's not a wise thing to tell people that are in sin that even if they wait until after the so-called rapture, they will get another chance. What if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? Um, if you are, you may very well have doomed somebody eternally. The equivalent would be if Noah... While he's building the ark and he's preaching, it would be like Noah saying, Okay, everybody, listen, I know you're probably not going to get saved now. But when you see the rain coming down and the fountains of the great deep open up and there's 40 feet of water everywhere, come looking for this ark. We'll try to get you in. After the flood starts. No. No, we know that not only didn't happen, it wasn't going to happen. There's not even a chance for it. It would be like the angels telling Lot. Now, Lot, I understand you don't want to go now. Um, you know, you, you still got business to do here in Sodom and you know, your sons-in-law, they're not wanting to come. And I understand that. So, Lot, I tell you what. After the city is on fire and people are screaming in terror because they're on fire, 
the flames are so hot because of the sulfur that's come down and that sulfur is burning thousands of degrees and it's just wasting everything. Noah, or excuse me, Lot, you know, go ahead and come on out then. I'm sure it'll be okay. The angels don't, they, in fact, they grab Lot by the collar and say, come with us. We can't destroy this city until you're out, but you got to leave now. I mean, you just, you just don't see anybody staying in Sodom saying, I'll wait and see if it comes. You don't see anybody sitting in a lawn chair looking at the ark, and all of a sudden it starts raining and floodwaters coming from everywhere from below the ground. And he's going, you know what? I don't know. He was right. He was dead on. He said seven days. Sure enough, here it is right here. Hey, hey, Noah, open that door up. Noah can't open the door. He didn't shut it. So I think there's coming a time when the Gentile book is going to be shut. And then God is going to open the eyes of Israel. They're not going to be blinded anymore. That's part of the mystery. Uh, behold, I show you a mystery. There it is. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. The trumpet shall sound. The dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Uh, Ephesians 1, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Here's another part of that mystery. According to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one. See that word gather? There it is again. In fact, it's there twice. Gather together. Yeah, the gather part of together is from gather. Gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. And it's part of the mystery of his will. And it's going to happen again. He uses that phrase fullness. Fullness of times, fullness of the Gentiles. Uh, oh, I like this one. Here's another part of it. How that by revelation it may known unto me the mystery, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body. Um, and he calls this the fellowship of the mystery. And then he said, oh, I like this one. Ephesians 5. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause, this reason, shall a man leave his father and mother. Who's the man here? The man's Christ. Who's his father? God. Who's his mother? Jerusalem above. And shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see, there, he just like wraps it all up for you. The mystery is the joining together of the bridegroom and the bride. Isn't that something? And Jesus leaves heaven, leaves the presence of his Father, comes down to the air. We meet Jesus in the air. 
let me move on here. Uh, oh, this 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 works. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound. Now I I pondered that verse here last few months, and it sort of gives the idea. It mentions the days of the voice of the seventh angel. It's sort of this accepted concept that the angel blowing the trumpet is like a, I don't know, a 10-second thing. They blow the trumpet, and then bam, all this stuff happens. But it's sort of telling you here that the sounding of the seventh trumpet lasts for days, or at least the events that are supposed to take place with the sounding of the seventh trumpet takes days to accomplish. In the days, not day, but days, plural, of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound at the beginning of his blowing. The mystery of God, what's the mystery? Christ and his church, the uh, fullness of the Gentiles become in, blindness in part happened to Israel. I, I, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. He shall gather together his elect. That's the mystery. The mystery is going to be finished at the sounding of the seventh angel. That falls perfectly in line with uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and all of these other verses that we just read where the mystery is finished right here. It's over with. It's done. And I would say, um, I would say including the mystery of iniquity or the mystery of godliness. All of that mystery of iniquity is the revelation of the Antichrist. Then shall that man of sin be revealed. See, the mystery of iniquity is going to have a revelation to it. And it's going to be who the who the Antichrist is. Um, so now let's take that. Let's take that wedding concept here from Ephesians five. And uh, let's go to Matthew 25. 25 is five times five. Okay. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So whether you, whether you accept what I'm saying as true um, or not true, it's irrelevant. But using the Bible as a light, lighting the path that you and I will walk together in, regardless of when we think it's going to happen, God already knows when it's going to happen, doesn't he? Yeah. 
And so I don't think that I'm 100% right in what I'm saying. And I don't think anybody has the right to stand up, puff their chest out, and say, I know how it's all going to happen because I got a map drawn by the Ravel company. You don't know either. We're trying to look at an ageless, timeless book. Limited by time, limited by uh, our cloudy misunderstanding. We see through a glass darkly. And that's how, that's how we're going to see everything until after it happens. And then we'll go, oh, yeah, that's... That's what that meant. Okay? So regardless of what you believe, let's stick with the idea that the Bible is the only true lamp to walk in in the days that these things are going to take place. The last thing you want is to spend all your time studying this when you could spend your time studying this. Amen? All right. So they took their lamps, went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise. Five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made. Let me stop right here. I already don't have enough time for this. Have you ever looked at midnight in the Bible? It's It's pretty cool. The things that happen at midnight. At about midnight, will I go into the midst of Egypt? The destroyer angel went through at midnight. Woo. At midnight, the Lord smote all the firstborn. Wow. Uh, it was at midnight that Samson got up and whooped the Philistines. Um, it was at midnight that Boaz discovered uh, Ruth. Um. Let's see here. In a moment shall they die, and the people shall be troubled at midnight and pass away. At midnight I will rise. Oh, look at that. I will rise to give thee thanks, give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. Um, for you know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning. Um, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. Uh, it's just a, it's a, studying little things like that just makes it fun. Midnight, there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered saying, not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. 
lazy people. You got a Bible. You just never read it. I And I am, I have been listening this week. Uh, remember the guy that I exposed last week? His name was Sean Bowles, and he's the guy that had Mark Verkler in his little uh, uh, Bible study group that he charged money for. So I've been listening to these guys in the last several days. Mark Verkler and Sean Bowles and some of the others that are part of his group. And I'm just amazed at how often they don't want to quote Scripture. They don't. They they go around it almost every time. If they can get away with it, they will. They'll say things like, you know, because the Bible tells us that we ought to whatever. They don't quote the verse. They just say the Bible tells you this or the Bible the Bible gives us the idea that or the Bible sort of sheds light on this by way of doing this. They never quote it. They just say, well, the Bible says so. Where? Well, it just does. Okay. And I'm just amazed. Mark Verkler, he is he is so way off on all of his theology. It's, I'm like, how do people sit and listen to this guy? Because he just, he, he misquotes so much of the Bible. And he uses the New American Standard. Okay? And you just don't hear him, you just don't hear him quoting it very much. He alludes to it. He says the Bible indicates this. The Bible gives us this idea. The Bible impresses upon us this philosophy. Or, you know, the Bible teaches us that. They're not going to quote it. That's always should be a warning to you. Okay. Uh, anyway. Go and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. I don't know the day or the hour. But I also don't want to miss it. So, people, keep your Bibles open. Uh, Remember when Abigail got married to David? Notice she took five damsels with her. Look at that. That's a picture of Christ and the bride. And the bride is us. The bride is our souls who go to David, the bridegroom, confess our sins, pray that he doesn't kill us. And David puts his sword in his sheath. And he says, don't worry, I'm not going to kill you. And then once he finds out Nabal died, David goes by there. She's now available to be married. She gets married to David. For the first time in her life, finally, a true love in her life. A true love in her life. One that won't hurt her no more, take advantage of her anymore, abuse her anymore. None of that. Ruth, um, she's the Gentile bride of the kinsman redeemer. And he said, I have purchased to be, uh, Ruth, I have purchased to be my wife. We are bought. We are bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. 
Now, I mentioned we have Enoch. Enoch breaks the pattern in Genesis 5. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and 5 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. The other place in the Bible that mentions Enoch is in Hebrews 11 and it's in verse 5. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. I've had some people say, you know, I believe Enoch died, but then God resurrected him right then. No, it says he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And some people say, well, yeah, you have to do works to please God. No, without faith, it is impossible to please him. It's faith that pleases God, not our works. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Elijah, uh, translated, without seeing death. Notice the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elijah and said, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. Elisha, Elijah, and 50 of the sons of the prophets. How many days was Pentecost? 50. Um, so it matches this pattern of five. 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And they two stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle wrapped it together and smote the waters and they were divided hither and thither and thither and hither hither and thither and thither and hither so that they too went over on dry ground and it came to pass when they were gone over that elijah said unto elisha ask what i shall do for thee before i be taken away from thee this is where you get into what that mystery was the fullness of the gentiles is is done elijah represents the gentiles and their fullness so elijah's fixing his his work here is done. And people, there's going to come a day when our work here is going to be done. And no matter, no matter who's saved at that time and who's not saved, it's going to be by their own wickedness that they refuse to get right with God. And people, in spite of what you want, there's really nothing you can do about it. And I don't care if it is all, all your children. If they decide that they don't want Christ and nothing to do with it, there's nothing you can do. Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. Let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. That is uh, the blindness in part of the Jews. They're gonna they're blind in one eye. That means they only have a single portion. When that eye is open, now they have the double portion. Does that make sense? And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. So that indicates that only the generation that is alive at the time when you and I as Gentiles are taken into heaven, that generation, that group, is going to be the one to receive the double portion. 
And so as they went on, there was a chariot of fire and horses of fire, parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. I want to, I want to float it as an idea by you. Um, and the more, the more I see what's going on in this world, the more I see with the whole UFO phenomenon. What if Satan has a similar, what we could call a similar rapture plan, whereby people on this earth are transported, and I don't mean transported like the transporter beam on Star Trek, whereby people living on this world are transported to the second heaven to live on a world up there. Now, believe it or not, what I just told you is almost a perfect match to Mormon doctrine. Those of you who know Mormon doctrine, you know what I'm talking about. The idea that as a faithful Mormon, you and your wife or wives will be given godhood. You will be given your own beautiful world to rule over and to populate with your children. Um, there is a supposed leaked story that our government made an arrangement with, with alien entities to transport 12 people to a planet called Serpo. Did you hear what I just said? Serpo. To live where the aliens live, to learn their ways to, to live on this world, to learn some of their technology, to learn whatever it is, and then come back. I don't know if that story is true. I have no idea. But I know that those who relay that story make it sound like Serpo was like this almost perfect world where there was no national boundaries. Everybody got along. All the workers, all the people on planet Serpo, all the little gray aliens, they all ate together and they all 
uh, worked together and they all, uh, I mean, it was just like this perfect, um, happy place that when it came time for um, the 12 earth people to go back to earth to report, some of them didn't want to leave and they didn't. They stayed there. And then those who did come back to Earth, <laughs> uh, there's different stories, but some of them say those people never saw the light of day after that. Um, but just think about that. Is it possible that the devil has an alternate in his own version of God translating the saints into heaven? Uh, made possible by the chariots. And by the way, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, was that's what the whole story was about. If you go watch that movie, the government had selected, the, they never say this one time in the movie. It took me a while to find it. But you see that there are 12 people wearing special jumpsuits and they have a patch called Project Mayflower. What is that? That's pilgrims going to a new world. Right? So you see these Project Mayflower people. And literally, they're all lined up to get on the mothership. But the little aliens come out and they pick Roy Neary, uh, Richard Dreyfus' character. They pick him to go on the ship. They had already chosen 12 of their own. Do you understand that number 12? It's for Israel. It's the number of uh, apostles, the number of tribes. But it, it refers to the heavenlies. The 12 months, the 12 constellations. It refers to the heavens. Okay? And I'm like, wow. Hoggard, you're really going off the rail. I, I think it's there. In fact, there's a parable of Jesus healing somebody that illustrates that very thing. Okay? Now, um, all right, we already looked at that. Notice 2 Samuel 6. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Well, why did he have to bring the ark back to Jerusalem? It's because in 1 Samuel... The five Philistine lords had taken the Ark of the Covenant. Eli fell backward when he heard this. Um, Hophni and Phinehas were killed. And Phinehas's wife gave birth to Ichabod. And it meant the glorious departed from Israel. Ichabod is the Antichrist. He's the man of sin, the son of perdition. He is that wicked, is what he is. And he's now revealed when there's a falling away. Um, the ark of God was taken away. And all this, all this bad stuff happens, and now you have the birth of the Antichrist in, in the form of Ichabod. By the five Philistine lords. Five kings of the Philistine, 
They had different, they had five different capital cities and they had a king over each one of them. Um, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horn. Seven trumpets blow. When did the walls fall down? At the first trumpet? Second trumpet? Fifth trumpet? No. Last trump. That's when they fell. Um, yeah, I saw the seven angels with seven trumpets. And here we're told that it happens at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound. And we already saw in Revelation 10, where in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. So that death is swallowed up in victory. Remember what five represents. It represents death. Um, okay. There is a five-month period when the fifth trumpet sounds, I didn't write that on here, but the fifth trumpet sounds, a star falls from heaven and opens up the bottomless pit. And for five months, then people are tormented because they have stings in their tails. Remember, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. Death is swallowed up in victory. The fifth angel sounded. I saw a star fall from heaven. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? And five things happen. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Um, all right. I already read that. I want to get to something. All right. Check this out. This is for your comfort and blessing in the 600 year of Noah's life in the second month the 17th day of the month the same day all of the fountains of the great deep broken up windows of heaven were opened so what does that mean it means the water came from the heart of the earth and it came from the heavens over the earth two sources now, I have, I have had this in my mind for years about the animals that get to go on the ark. And we always say, yeah, they got, God sent them in two by two, two by two. That's not 100% accurate. Of every clean beast, thou shalt take to thee by sevens the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. So you have two different categories of beasts on the ark. You have the clean taken by sevens and the unclean taken by twos. Now, do those represent anything? And we also have the fowl of the air by sevens, the male and the female. If you remember in Daniel 9, there are seven things that happens to Israel, to the Jews, and they all have to do with the forgiveness of sins. In, that, in the 70 weeks, weeks, in the 70 weeks of Daniel, 
the 490 days, uh, there are seven things that happened to Israel. Okay? So let's say the clean beasts by sevens represent Israel. When Jesus sent out his disciples to go and preach and teach the kingdom, he sent them out by twos. Two is a number for the Gentile age, 2,000 years, second day. First day, second day, the day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and then the third day he comes. Okay? And notice that they are unclean, but they still get to go in. Now, what does that mean? In Acts chapter 10, I believe is the key. This is uh, Peter's vision. And he has a, this great sheet knit at the four corners and slit down to the earth. And there were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The and he does this. God gives Peter this vision, and he does this three times. And then the, the understanding that Peter has is that the Gentiles, though you consider them as unclean animals, if I clean them, then you, how, how can you call them unclean? Because that's what the voice spake unto him. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And so Peter understands what this means. He's got the Holy Spirit in him. And the Holy Spirit's telling him, Peter, it's the Gentiles. So Peter now understands that the Gentiles can be saved. So that's how he can go to Cornelius' house, a Gentile, and say, Cornelius, would you like to be saved? Yes. Let me show you how. And you're saved by grace through faith. And that's what Peter preached. And that's how they got saved. Bada boom. It's over and done with. So, on the ark, protected by Jesus Christ himself, are the children of Israel and the Gentiles who are saved. Even though they're unclean, God cleans them, purifies them, makes them acceptable, reasonable and acceptable in God's sight. Both of them. Because being in the ark is a picture of, uh, let's see here, Romans Romans, uh, let's look at Romans 8. Therefore, there's now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. To be in the ark is to be in Christ. Um, so that if you are in Christ, there is now no condemnation to you. And if any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. Old things are passed away, the flood. Behold, all things become new. So the number eight 
is the number for new beginnings. And so in Genesis 8, eight people walk off the ark into a new world that's been cleansed by water. You see that? So to be in the ark is to be in Christ. And you have Israel and you have the Gentiles, all of us in Christ together. And we're being saved uh, from these floodwaters. Remember, they come down and they come up. The angels are going to fall down from heaven and they're going to rise up out of the pit, like in Revelation 9 and Revelation 12. That's going to happen. Don't be afraid ahead of time and worry that you're not going to make it through this time. Did any animal fall out of the ark after the rain started? Well, maybe the dinosaurs did. Maybe that's why there's no dinosaurs anymore. No. Did anybody fall off the ark? Did, did, the, did the door swing open? And half of Noah's family actually had 10 kids, but only three survived. Is that how it happened? No. A million times no. Once they were in the ark and God shut the door, and God's going to shut the door. Once they're in there, they're safe. And nothing is going to harm them. Nothing is. Did they all make it? Yes. Did all the animals make it? Yes. We're not told of any animal that got squished, fell out and drowned, died of starvation. Nothing. They all lived through it. You see what I'm getting at now? It's okay. It's, it's okay if, you're, uh, if you are in fear of this idea that, well, if the rapture don't come before the tribulation, then I'm going to be in trouble because I don't think I'm going to make it. I'm scared. Listen, you're looking at Mr. Fear right here. Um, but you don't have to worry. Would not God already have a plan worked out that no matter what happens, it has you crossing the finish line? And wouldn't that be worth it? So no matter how it happens, no matter how it happens, this Bible has guaranteed you that you're going to make it. You're going to live whether in this world or the next one, that you're going to. Okay? And I'm sure that any one of us, after we get through the shock, maybe of like, okay, I'm going to die today. I've been there, remember? Being electrocuted. And I had time to reconcile in my mind that I was going to die. And after I had made my peace with God, basically just waited to die. But I knew I was ready. Okay? Oh, listen, I love you. I'm glad. Glad we had this time together. Amen? Study the Bible. Study the Bible. And um, read it for yourself. And try not to put anybody's ism into it. Dispensationalism, 
undispensationalism. Don't just just read it. Believe what it says. You'll be okay. I promise you. All right? God bless you. I love you. You're the reason why we do what we do. Keep us in your prayers. Keep praying for Kenya.